0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome into To The Point Podcast. We guys are all doing well. It is a Saturday here in Rexton, New Brunswick, but I am live. I do not normally do Saturday podcasts, but I yesterday there was a storm. Ended up falling asleep in the afternoon, which was nice because Lord knows I need to sleep. So I got a little nap in. And I said to myself last night, I'm going to do a show this morning. And I was prepared. I had lots of information prepped. And last night, I'm watching the Minnesota Wild Dallas Stars game. Very entertaining. Get through that. It's about midnight. Thinking I should probably get to bed. Know it's going to be an early enough morning. Get rid of snow, things of that nature. And I'm up early to begin with. And then as I'm getting into bed, I see a update on my phone, and comes to my attention that there was a midnight deal struck between the Toronto Maple Leafs and the St. Louis Blues, and the content that I had for today, I'll try to get to most of it, but we have a new lead to start the show today, and that is that the Toronto Maple Leafs have traded for Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari of the St. Louis Blues. The Toronto Maple Leafs are on the board. They are, made a move. We are two weeks out from the trade deadline. This is very much Kyle Dubas-esque. He does, likes to do work early with the Jake Muzzin trade, getting Nick Foligno a few years back. He normally does not wait till deadline day. But looking at it here in Toronto, or looking at it from the Toronto point of view, pardon me, Toronto gets a former Con Smythe, former Selkie Trophy winner. And Ryan O'Reilly, a Stanley Cup champion, and they get a fourth-line depth player, Nola Chari, who's been to a Stanley Cup final as well in Boston, but lost, oddly enough, to Ryan O'Reilly's St. Louis Blues at the time. Toronto is better today than they were yesterday, and that is a win. And I talked about Ivan Barbashev being a target for the Toronto Maple Leafs. I still feel the Leafs could have enough assets to make that happen. I doubt that's going to happen now, but that's where I thought they'd go. I didn't see O'Reilly as the fit, but all while knowing, the Maple Leafs had a void. The Maple Leafs had a void, and that biggest void on their team, despite you know maybe the goaltending, you could argue, is third-line center. You had Austin Matthews, who's obviously is number one. John Tavares, who's a solid number two, who's close to a point-per-game player this year, has done everything you'd want. And then you had, is it Kerfoot? Is it Camp? Is it Bobby McMahon? Are we going to put Bill Nylander, third-line center? They did not have one. Quite frankly, they did not have a third-line center that you would trust to play big minutes in a playoff series. And now the Leafs have addressed it. You now have Austin Matthews, the best goal scorer in the game. John Tavares, who is overpaid but still a very good player at number two center and very productive player. And you have Ryan O'Reilly, who, for Leaf fans, if you look at the, the statistics, he's not having a great season. He's minus 24 for what that's worth. Not not much to me for my parents and the old heads out there. Plus minus, you know, the player would be a piece, you know, worth nothing. But you get a player that is going to be asked to be the fifth or sixth best forward on this team. And that is a perfect spot for Ryan O'Reilly to be in. He was the man in St. Louis the last two seasons. He's not the man anymore. He's getting older. He's been through a lot of wars. He's had surgeries. I mentioned he won a Stanley Cup. He went to a second round the next year. He's played a lot of hockey. He's played in playoff series, and he's a winner. Another thing here. You're not getting a guy that needs to figure out how to win. He knows how to win. He knows how to fit into a system. Now, there might be a feel that you want to put him on the wing. You want to put Tavares on the wing. I don't see that with this team. I'm not trading for Ryan O'Reilly for him to play the wing because you don't have a third-line center. Unless, you make, unless the Leafs make another trade in the next 13 days, Ryan O'Reilly is absolutely a center iceman, and he's your third-line center. He's your third-line center because you have Matthews, Nylander, Bunting. You have Tavares. You have Marner. Kelly Croak has been playing in that position. And I understand you might want to look at it and say, O'Reilly would be a really good fit with them. Or he would make our top six so formidable. I get it. But it's not the right play, in my opinion, because... Who's your third? Then you still have the same issue that you had have, you have before. David Camp is not a third line center. I like David Camp a lot, but he's a perfect fourth line guy. Don't give up any scoring chances. Be great defensively. He's only got four goals in the season, he's not an offensive minded player. But be in good positions, frustrate the opposing team. But fourth-line minutes, play eight to nine minutes a game. He plays penalty kill. He's fantastic at it. That is his role. But you need a third-line center that at least can have a threat of offense. He does not. And with that, his linemates don't usually get a whole lot of opportunities either. They usually don't score all that frequently. And I do not want to hear the the possibility of Kerfoot being a third-line center because, my God, that would scare the hell out of me if I'm a Leaf fan. I don't think Kerfoot will be on the roster in 13 days. But if he is the third-line center option, I don't like it. If you think you go O'Reilly, Tavares, Matthews, that's pretty formidable. Three guys who are good on faceoffs. Three guys who are pretty damn good defensively, despite O'Reilly's plus-minus this year. But again, throw that stat out the window. He's on a bad team. He's on a team that's not performing. He's on a team that's goaltenders out to lunch. So his numbers are going to be bad. Absolutely. But it, he's won a Selkie Award. That means you're the best defensive forward in the league. So he's not a bad defensive player. By the metrics this year, he's god awful. I don't care what the metrics this year. I know what the player can be. So th- that's all positive if you're, if you're a Leafs fan because you are better. You are better with O'Reilly. You have three centers that can play. You have three centers that have played playoff minutes, And you also need to look around, and I'm going to talk about this in a bit, and look at your competition and how you stack up. You also get Noel Achari, who has quietly put up 12 goals this season, who is a third, fourth liner. He's a bottom six forward, but guess what? That's what Toronto needed as well. Because if you're a Leaf fan, I'm sure you're getting tired of seeing Joey Anderson or Alex Steves, Bobby McMahon, Wayne Simmons, a rotating plethora of players who don't bring a whole lot to the table. A plethora of people that don't threaten you. They just, they're just there. They play, they may score a goal every now and then, but they're no threat. They're not really NHL players. And in the playoffs, they'll have their lunch handed to them. Achari is not as talented as Pierre Engvall, but he has bite. And he has more heart than Pierre Engvall could ever have. He will not be afraid to go into a corner. He will not be afraid to engage physically. And he's played on tough teams in Boston where he's learned how to battle. Noel Achari was on a PTO last year in Florida. He had to earn a roster spot. He went, had a, a, almost a 20-goal season in Florida. He then goes to St. Louis. He's battled to stay in the league and find a role, and now he ends up in Toronto. So you have a role player that's important. You have a role player that will play hard and, in my opinion, play well. Is he as, as good a player as Ivan Barbashev? No, no. And I, I would have preferred Barbashev, and I would have traded Matthew Nyes and all they gave up for Barbashev and O'Reilly. Me personally, that's what I would have done. Matthew Nyes is this top prospect. He's the second coming of Christ. He's the best college player since Paul Korea. I get it. I understand that. That's a, There's a, a lure to this guy that plays at the University of Minnesota. And, my God, hopefully hopefully he has a great NHL career. Hopefully they win the national championship this year because if he's that good, they probably should. Even though Quinnipiac's the number one team in the country. Shh. But you get O'Reilly, you get Achary, and I think Matthew Nyes is going to be a player that they plug into the lineup. Matthew Nyes could be that top 6-4 that they envision. I talked about Yarmkroak. How do you fill that spot? Matthew Nyes could come in fresh off the college beat, jump on the line with Tavares and Marmer. Pretty good opportunity for a kid to start a career. Yarmkroak jumps down to the third line, With Ryan O'Reilly, both guys are really good defensive-minded. Both guys play well defensively, and they know they they just know how to play. They know how to play. They both play penalty kill, so you can develop some chemistry there. And then you know the other person on that line might be Angval. It's not the worst third line in the world. I'll be honest, that's, that's a third line that you can be sort of proud of. Then you have Camp, you have Achari, and you kind of have an open hole there. You find somebody that you trust to play those minutes. Again, who that is, I don't know. But you can plug that hole. You can find a player that can come in and play those minutes. I, I like Bobby McMahon, personally. He'd play for me. He would play. Uh, of the guys of these Steve's and these players that have no business playing camp. Yes. Achari is going to play. Believe that. And if I looked the other night, who'd they have playing on the fourth line cause I hardly watched it. Oh, I forgot about Pontus Holmberg. He's playing. Holmberg will play in the playoffs. He plays center. He could play the wing too. Holmberg's on that on that fourth line with Camp and, uh, and Achari. It's not bad either. That's a lineup. That's a, deep, that's a good forward group. Of what I just put out there, then you have Aston Reese who can sit. If you need him to plug and play, he's a healthy scratch. Come playoff time. You can have Wayne Simmons sitting in the press box eating poutine if you need him to come down and play a couple shifts. So you have depth. Most important thing is not having – sorry, let me rephrase this better. It is important to have depth, but it's more important to have depth that you trust. You can have a seventh defenseman that's sitting in the press box, but if you don't trust the guy to lace up his skates correctly, then what good is the depth? Aston Reese has played in the playoffs before with the Pittsburgh Penguins. So if he needed to come in for a game because Pontus Holmberg didn't bring a whole lot of energy in game two against Tampa Bay, I would feel okay with that. Wayne Simmons, same. I'd be okay with him coming into play. So it's good depth. It's not Joey Anderson and Alex Steves And you you look around the league, some playoff teams are like, this guy's going to come in. Who did Tampa always have? Oh, yeah, they had Luke Shen that would come in and play minutes. You trust that depth piece to come in and play so this, this Maple Leafs team is forming. They can put a roster on the ice that you can trust. Their bottom six forwards aren't just AHL players masquerading as NHLers, likely half of them playing for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. You have a team now. You have structure. And I still think they'll make another a minor move. I don't think the Maple Leafs are going big game hunting again. I think they're done with that. They made their big move last night. They got Ryan O'Reilly expiring contract. They got Nolachari pending unrestricted free agent. So they did something that they're not all that happy about doing, which is trading for rentals. Because I don't think Ryan O'Reilly will be back in, in Toronto next season. But you made your big move. Do they go at another depth defenseman? Potentially. Maybe. Do you get another forward for depth, wouldn't kill you. You can never have too much depth. Brian Burke always talks about that. Winning the Stanley Cup in Anaheim in 2007, he used 11 defensemen. 11. So you might say, okay, we have Connor Timmins, we have Jordy Ben, but could we get somebody better? Would the aforementioned Luke Shen of the Vancouver Canucks be a better defenseman to plug in than Connor Timmins or Jordy Ben? I would. I would make the argument yes, because I've seen the guy play in playoff games before. And he's done an admiral job filling in for Jan Ruda or Player X. But I think this is a good piece of business by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Third line center was a need. But they need to play him at center, not the wing. And I think they get that. I think they understand that. I'm not convinced yet because this... This Maple Leafs team likes to do things differently. God love them. They they love to to spice it up and make decisions that are counter to reason occasionally. You get two players that do have a physical game, which is a positive swing. You get a centerman, and you get a fourth-line guy that is a fourth-line guy, a true player that can play in your bottom six and that can play well. And now, the X Factor is Matthew Nye's. Where does he fit in? When does he join the team? Because O'Reilly is expected to play this evening against the Montreal Canadiens. I thought he would just meet the team in Chicago because the lease are in Chicago tomorrow. Not a f- pretty quick flight from St. Louis because St. Louis was is playing in Colorado this afternoon. But he'll likely play this evening and make his debut at home against the Montreal Canadiens, Achari as well. I think he plays the wing tonight. I have no news on this yet. If he plays tonight, here's my prediction. I think he plays the wing on that second line tonight. And the reason I say that is they have Holmberg, who plays center, and they have Camp who also plays center. So you're going to bump Yarncrow down to get him ready to play third line, put O'Reilly there, put him with Tavares and with Marner. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't do it, ladies and gentlemen, but I just have a feeling they will because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs because it's Saturday night and they feel like they have this more spotlight than any other team, which – they're not wrong, but also not everybody cares. But here's an early prediction, and if I'm wrong, I will talk about it on Monday. I think Ryan O'Reilly is playing the wing tonight. I think he's playing the wing next to John John Tavares and Mitch Marner when he should be playing center. But that, that's a prediction for this evening. If He's in the lineup. He's playing on the wing on the second line. But on the Toronto side of things, Good trade. I still think they have an opportunity to get Barbashev, which is really intriguing to me. I love the player. Have for a long time. I saw, I saw what he did in 2019 with St. Louis and the value he brings in the playoffs. He's more offensively gifted than he was in at that point in his career too. He plays his heart out every night and he'll do whatever it takes to win. And that's the the best thing about Ivan Barbashev is that he will do whatever it takes. He'll battle, block a shot. He'll hit every defenseman. It doesn't matter to him as long as you come out on the other side with a victory. I think the Leafs could still try to acquire him they don't have a whole lot of assets left after this trade because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the St. Louis side in a minute. But I do think O'Reilly will be a fit. And as I mentioned off the top, the biggest reason why he's a fit is because he's going to be your fifth or sixth most important player on offense. Matthews, Marner, Bill, Tavares, then you get to O'Reilly. Bunting could even be more important because Bunting is very he's very important to that team. So he, it's even better if he's your sixth most important forward. I talked about that with Claude Giroux in Ottawa. I thought he had to be their seventh or eighth most important forward. He's been asked to do too much. That's why they lose. That's why they're not in a position to make the playoffs. That's why they screw it up all the time in, in Ottawa. If O'Reilly is asked to be the hero – then Toronto's going to lose. Toronto will lose another first round. Toronto will have another failing season because they're asking the player that they acquired to be the hero. It's great to have depth, and you need guys to score a big goal. And I give Ryan O'Reilly a much better chance of scoring a big goal than I do Pontus Holmberg or Steves or Joey Anderson or Player X. Because O'Reilly's done it. He's won a Kant Smythe. But he's not going to be the one that you look at, and this is why we lost the series. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, your main cats in Toronto have to play better in the playoffs. Period. End of story. Show up. Show up for seven games. Don't show up for every second game like you did against Tampa last year. Show up in game seven, Austin Matthews. You lost 2 1. Score a goal in that game, have an impact. The best players do. When Braden Point plays in big games, he shows up. I mentioned Arturi Lekkinen. That, that would be great if Ryan O'Reilly could be Colorado's Arturi Lekkinen where he scores a, a series clinching goal, and you remember it, and it was well worth the trade. That, that would be a great story. But before Lekkinen scores that series clinching goal, Nathan McKinnon was a stud, and Kyle McCarr was the best player in the playoffs last year, he was doing his thing, winning a cons, winning the consmite Trophy. So the best players have to be the best players. That will never change. But having more depth on your team, having a player being pushed into a role that you know that he can handle, is the is the perfect scenario here and the perfect reason to acquire him. And looking at I thought about this last night after the after the trade. This is another big reason why Ryan O'Reilly has to play center. The Tampa Bay Lightning up the middle have Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, Anthony Sorelli, and Pierre Edward Belmar. They also have Nick Paul who can play center. Braden Point, pretty good playoff player. I'd say he's pretty good. He's the most clutch player in the last in the first two years Tampa won the cup. He scored every game. He had 13 goals in that second cup run that they had. He's Mr. Clutch. He does everything right. I love him. Love him like a son, Braden Point. Great playoff performer. Steven Stamkos. Still got juice in those legs. Still plays hard. Played played well against the Leafs in that series last year, quite frankly. Anthony Sorelli, one of the best shutdown center icemen in hockey today. Defensively sound, plays the penalty kill. You'd like to see more offense from him, but he's smart. He rarely makes a mistake. He's great on faceoffs, and he'll compete his ass off. Sound like anybody you know? Sound like Ryan O'Reilly? Hmm. Then you also have Pierre Edward Belmar. Who is another guy who's he's a perfect fourth line center? You love to see him put on a line with Corey Perry and Pat, and the big rig Pat Maroon, and they go out there and do damage to the opposing team's fourth line. But all those guys can play center; they can all skate, and they know what their role is. So with this trade, Toronto now has Austin Matthews, better than any center Iceman Tampa has Tavares. Pretty good, pretty damn good number two center. Ryan O'Reilly, Con Smythe, I've mentioned all his accolades. And David Camp. That is a huge shift. Because if you didn't have O'Reilly in that, you know what you'd have? Pontus Holmberg. No offense, Pontus Holmberg, but you haven't played a playoff game. And yeah, you're fine. But should you be playing third-line center for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the most rich franchise in, in hockey, and you got real aspirations to win a Stanley Cup? No. So that's why you go get Ryan O'Reilly so that you look at your competition because Toronto's got to focus on the whole playoffs, but you, you also got to focus on the opponent you know you're going to play. You're playing Tampa. You know you have to beat the Lightning. How do we beat them? Because before we get to Boston, we have to beat Tampa Bay. And with Pontus Holmberg and David Camp playing 15 minutes a night against Sorelli and Stamkos, oy vey. I don't think that's going to work. I don't think you're going to win a lot of games because they're better than you. Just top to bottom. Center Iceman. They got better center Iceman than you do. So just teeing it off, that that's a close – Point Matthews. Matthews is a better player in the playoffs. Points been better. That's a. It's even to me. I'm not giving Matthews an edge in that centerman battle because I know I, I've seen them both play in the playoffs and it's not close. One gets points. The other is at UFC events with Justin Bieber in, in May. Stamkos Tavares. Tavares uh, defensively, I'll give the edge to Tavares. Certainly, he, he wins a lot of draws. Hes play, he's had a great year. He's had a great season, John Tavares. This one is very close. I'll saw that off these two. O'Reilly Sorelli. offensively Ryan O'Reilly has more to give than Anthony Sorelli at this point of their career. Sorelli struggles to score goals. I mentioned how great he is defensively. And these two playing against each other, third line versus third line for an entire series would be a lot of fun. But I think in a perfect world, you want Sorelli put with some decent players on his wings, and you want him going up against Matthews or the Tavares line. But looking at third lines with the centerman, you might have Sorelli there, and you put him – With a Brandon Hagel, who's great. With a Nick Paul, not bad. Pretty damn good third line. I mentioned you have O'Reilly, Croak, potentially Pierre Angval. I like Tampa's more. But it's closer. I think just ability to score a goal in a clutch moment, I give the edge to O'Reilly. So there's an edge for the least. And then fourth line, I'm going to go Belmar on that. But – Again, camp. I, I like Camp a lot. To me, he knows his role. That's one of the best things about him is that he is not going to do more than what he's asked to do, and that can be a positive and a negative in life and in sports where you know it's the chicken or the egg. Would you rather have a player that is willing to try something, willing to take a risk to see if they can succeed, or would you rather have somebody who is comfortable in their position, will stay in that spot, and you never have to worry about them. It's like a person in life. I'm sure if you're an employer, you see an employee who has aspirations who might want to do different things. That's great, but I think in the same mindset, you're like, well, can you?" I I like the employee more who just really enjoys their job, likes their life where it is, and let me keep you here, keep you in the nest, keep you safe here, let me nurture you, and hopefully you never leave until i retire then you can do it hell you want because i got my money sell the business whatever happens happens sounds fickle but it's life i toronto and tampa are very close back end goaltending still clear edge tampa bay not close still not close for me and that can be something where the lease want to go see what. The the Gavrikov ask, I mean, a first round pick plus is crazy. It's crazy. Gavrikov's not worth a first first rounder, he isn't? O'Reilly and Achari, yes, yes, but not. Gavrikov's not a first round pick defenseman. He's a four or five, and I I like him. I like four or five defensemen because they, but he's no Jacob Slavin, defensive shutdown guy that you're gonna trust forever. He's no Brett Pesci. Like They got two of those guys in Carolina. They stockpile them, and they pay them cheap money. <laughs> He's not Brandon Carlo. I mean, Brandon Carlo is better than Vladislav Gavrikov. So I'm not going to overpay for him but if there's something that makes sense. John Klingberg's out there with Anaheim. That's a horrible fit in Toronto. They got enough defensemen who don't to take care of the puck. You might want to just roll the dice and say, you know, we like Sandine. We don't want to push him out of the lineup. We like Lilligren. But there's always a trade you don't expect. Tampa seems to pull it off every year where they get a guy that wasn't on the radar or you don't really see it coming. A team sells that you don't expect. I saw an insider trading the other night. St. Louis's defensemen were on the market. They're not trading Colin Parego, they're not trading Nick Letty. They're not trading Tory Krug. I'd be shocked if they traded any of those guys. And I'll even say it now. They're not trading any of their top four defensemen. And if they do, I'll admit I'm wrong again. They're not gonna. I'm not gonna be wrong. The teams out west could part. I mean, Checkern could get traded. Does another defenseman on that roster get moved? Teams in the Eastern Conference, everybody's still kind of in it. Ottawa's not gonna trade defensemen. They have nobody that that you'd want. Sorry, Sens fans, but I guess you know it. You see your team's record. Connor Murphy, I mean, Jake McCabe, I think, could end up in Toronto. He didn't play well against him in the other night, but he's got another year left on his contract. So you could get him. He's not a rental. I don't – you get a – maybe a third-round, fourth-round pick in this year's draft. But I think this is going to be the the lease roster, the core of it, and then Matthew Nyes when he's finished school that will be their team. And it, it's a good it's a good squad. They can compete with Tampa Bay, they can compete with the rest of the league cuz they were one of the best teams in the National Hockey League this whole year. Points percentage, all of it. And they've had injuries the whole year. They haven't, you know, they haven't had Matt Murray for stretches, they haven't had Sam Sonoff for stretches. So with all that being said and I'll Put it this way, I think they made a good trade last night because I haven't got to the St. Louis side of this. So Toronto in this deal gets Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari. St. Louis gets a 2023 first-round pick, a 2024 second-rounder, a 2023 third-rounder, which is an Ottawa draft pick that Toronto got in a Matt Murray trade. They get Adam Gaudette, who's bounced around the NHL. He's played – Played uh, in the American Hockey League this year. having have a very good year down there, but it's an American Hockey League player. And Mikhail Abramov, another player who's played in the American League a long time. Not a top prospect for the Maple Leafs. So you don't have to trade Matthew Nyes. You don't have to trade Ronnie Hervonen, You don't have to trade Topi Nimala. So you keep all your top prospects. You trade away two AHL players. And I think because they didn't trade away one of their decent prospects you trade a 2024 second rounder. So 2023 first for Ryan O'Reilly, that was going to happen. You know that going in, you know you have to give up a first round pick. So that's the going right. 2024 second rounder. It's not this year, so you keep your second round pick this year. You know, a first and a second for for him is a lot. It is a lot. But does O'Reilly stay in Toronto? Does he keep? Because this is, you know, it's a it's a lot of draft capital, certainly. But if you win, draft capital is irrelevant because you're because you're winning. You're in a position to win a cup. In the 2023 third via Ottawa, again, you got that pick for Matt Murray so it doesn't even feel like you're losing anything because you got still got Matt Murray on your roster. You got him with Matt Murray to, to take him on. So it's not a it's not a huge loss. So the, the 2023 third, you'll still have your third-round pick this year, your own pick. You'll have your second-rounder this year, and you'll lose two HL players. And uh, St. Louis retained 50% of O'Reilly's salary. They also had Minnesota come into the picture – They got a 2024 fifth rounder, and they retained 25% of O'Reilly's salary, so a three-team trade. So O'Reilly's cap at what the Toronto Maple Leafs is $1.875 million, which is a bargain of bargains. So with all the salary retention and all the movement, they didn't give up a, a top prospect. They gave up a first rounder. He didn't give up a second rounder this year. I think this is a pretty solid deal for the the Toronto Maple Leafs. For St. Louis, I think they saw the writing on the wall, and if they could get a first-round pick for Ryan O'Reilly, they're going to be okay with that. They're okay with only getting a first-rounder. They were happy, in my opinion, to retain salary because who cares? You're going to lose anyway. She'll do it. 2024 second, 2020, another 2023 third. So you get another draft pick. And we got to remember, maybe they didn't like the least prospects. Maybe they didn't want any, maybe they'd rather have draft picks and make their own decisions than have Toronto's draft picks, which I don't blame them. St. Louis has drafted Robert Thomas. They've drafted Jordan Guyro. They've drafted Colton Pareko. They drafted Ivan Barbashev, so they built the core of their team around their own draft picks. When they won the cup in '19, it's because it's who they drafted. They added pieces around the edges, but they didn't add a lot. They drafted Jordan Benning. They drafted Jordan Bennington. They drafted Jake Allen at the time. So that's how Doug Armstrong has done a lot of his business. Quite frankly, is he's done it through draft capital hitting on draft picks and seeing it turn around. They could also, you know, make put these draft picks into a trade. I've mentioned this before. I don't expect the St. Louis Blues to be in full-on rebuild mode because you have Robert Thomas, you have Kyru, you have Pareko, you have Tory Krug, you have players that will want to win now and that are on long-term contracts and are good players. It was a disaster year in St. Louis, no doubt about it. A disaster season. I picked St. Louis to get to the Stanley Cup final, and I look like an idiot. Admittedly, I look stupid. At the Rangers and St. Louis meeting for for the Stanley Cup. And I talked about in November that I thought St. Louis should have made a coaching change, fired Craig Berube, and brought in Barry Trott so this team could play with some defensive structure. I heard Darren Pang in an interview this week talk about how you know you need your players to buy in, you need them to buy into the coach's message, and clearly they didn't with with Chief this year. He's still scary as ever behind the bench, would scare the hell out of you if you uh, dogged it in practice. But he's been there a minute, and maybe it's just gotten stale. But Doug Armstrong's been in St. Louis a long time as a general manager. He's done some good things they're always in the mix um you know we've talked i i've never mentioned this on the show but just pondering this thought i think as media people as even you know just fans of the game if you're a fan of a team we can overinflate what the value of certain people are What's the value of Patrick Kane right now in his career? What's the value of Ryan O'Reilly right now in his career? What's the value of Jonathan Taves? You hear the name, and you expect a huge return. Jonathan Taves is one of my favorite players of all time. He's my second favorite hockey player. Well, third favorite hockey player ever. Yager 1, Meyer 2, my two guys. I got Jonathan Taze number three. It's one of the first jerseys my father purchased for me it was the Jonathan Taze 19 jersey. And I love, every, I love everything about him. I still do. But he's not the same player. And I understand that, but I think you you see the name, you go, wow, what could, what could they get? What could they get in return for Jonathan Taze? What could Ryan O'Reilly fetch you? Maybe the market for O'Reilly around the league wasn't a huge market. I think teams also are in a position right now where it's about Timu Meyer and Timu Meyer alone. To me, he's the pendulum swing of the trade deadline where wherever he ends up, and I think it'll be Carolina or New Jersey, and boy, that's a pendulum swing. Because those two teams are very close in the standings, and both teams are very good. But I still think Boston's in that mix. I still think teams are you know around the edges. So Doug Armstrong might have looked around and said, I don't know if the deal is going to get any better. Let me take a first and a second rounder while I have it on the table. I get Ryan O'Reilly to a new location now, and I can focus on Ivan Barbashev. I can focus on my other pieces that I can trade the deadline. And with O'Reilly gone, maybe Barbashev's value goes up. Maybe they can get another first rounder, a second round pick for Barbashev. Second rounder plus for Ivan Barbashev, which would be a good return in St. Louis. I didn't expect the Leafs to go the O'Reilly route. I didn't expect them to go the Barbashev route. I really didn't know where they were going to go. My my parents asked me this the other day. They're Leafs fans. I didn't know. I wanted him to get Barbashev, but I didn't expect them to because he is too tough and would make too much sense. O'Reilly's a good fit. O'Reilly's a good fit, and Kyle Dubas is still the general manager for right now. He doesn't have a contract for next year, but he's making moves trying to get this team over the hump. And to me, this is him... Zagging on his own fundamentals, on his own system, on puck possession, on skill over girth, on lack of toughness. And I applaud him for that. Because you can only lose so much doing the same thing over and over and expect different results. Nick Foligno could have been a major add for the Maple Leafs, but unfortunately for the team and for Nick, he was injured. He never got the opportunity to shine in a Maple Leaf uniform. Ryan O'Reilly is similar to Nick Foligno. They have similar traits, but Ryan O'Reilly's a better player. And Ryan O'Reilly plays center, which is a more valuable position. Ryan O'Reilly could have the impact Nick Flina had, but even more. Because he could be that third-line center that scores a big goal that puts the Leafs over the hump. Because in this system in the NHL, you know who you're going to play. You're playing Tampa because Boston somehow is 13 points up on the Toronto Maple Leafs still. 13 points up. And they have shitty depth, and they – actually, I should clarify that. They don't have shitty depth. I was told that by one of my family members. but I, I like to bring that up from time to time because it's funny to me. But they got a team that, as a, a goaltender, it's only lost four times in regulation in Linus Allmark. I still like Tampa the best in that division. I give Toronto a fighting chance. And in the playoffs, I think if Toronto can beat Tampa, I give them a better chance of beating uh, beating Boston than I would have beating Tampa. Because I just think Tampa's got that team. They got a team built for the playoffs. Boston's very good. Don't get me wrong. But Linus Allmark's played no games in the playoffs. He hasn't proven anything. He hasn't done anything to prove to anybody that he can play. Neither has Samsonov, quite frankly. You got 88, the monster down there. You have Victor Hedman, who, of course, is a beast. And you got Sergachev and Chernak and all the monsters that they have in the back end. I should clarify. They didn't say shitty depth. Surprised on the depth. So I'll clarify my statement as i was sent a text to uh, clarify. I think that's kind of chicken or the egg. I mentioned that earlier, but bread and butter, peanut butter or butter. Maybe, maybe that's the comparison. Apples to oranges. There we go. Apples to oranges. B, B level depth. B level depth on a, maybe a B level team, maybe compared to the Leafs. Just not a. Not as much exposure, maybe. Jack Edwards, I don't know. But I applaud the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I like teams that do their business early. Why wait two weeks for deadline day to make a deal? Do it now. If you can fly in and play tonight, great. People be excited down at Scotiabank. i might actually hear the crowd for once. Ryan O'Reilly comes to town Saturday night against Montreal. Mid-Feb. You need a boost. It's good. Get him in. He'll play in Chicago tomorrow. They got Buffalo in a couple days. Makes too much sense not to do it. So, good piece of business by Kyle Dubas. Decent piece of business by Doug Armstrong. What that draft pick will be. We'll have to wait and see. 2023 first round pick. For the Maple Leafs, they hope it's the 32nd pick in the draft because they hope they win the Stanley Cup and they won't give a crap and neither will you if you're a Leaf fan and that pick turns out to be a game changer. But even if you win a couple rounds, you're drafting 27th. Yeah, it's a first round pick on paper, but you know what you are? A high second rounder. You're a high second rounder. Because after a while, you're just your second round talent that get taken in the first round. Let's just keep keep it 100 here. What does this do to Boston and Tampa when it comes to their deadline plans? Boston's cash strapped at the deadline, and I like their team. I still think they're going to want to try to do something. I mean, Taylor Hall is still a very good player. Jake DeBrusk hasn't played in a couple weeks because he had a, a sports hernia injury. I, Jake DeBrusk is a great playoff performer. Take him every day of the week. They could still use an, another uh, bottom six forward like Toronto got in Achari. I think you can find another player. Barbashev in Boston, oof, that would be fun for anything that has to play them. That sounds like hell on wheels. You go up against players like McAvoy and, and Carlo, and you have Barbashev running around knocking you. Oof. It would be fun for those Maple Leaf defensemen in the second-round series, I'll tell you that. Timu Meyer threat. I still, I think Jonathan Taves in Boston had mentioned that before. I think that would make a lot of sense. Again, Jonathan Taves is like Ryan O'Reilly. You don't need him to be top dog. You need him to be the seventh, eighth best forward. Be your third-line center. Be the third line center. Don't be the man anymore. And that's on the, or- and that's Boston won't because they're a good organization. They'll know what his role is. He'll know what his role is before he's traded because they'll be in conversations with him ready to win. And, uh, Achari, Achari, I'll take anybody's spot. I, I think Achari will replace Steves or Anderson on the fourth line for the Leafs, some players, not even a, a player currently. Zach aston reese out, Achari in. I'll go through I said this earlier, but I'll go through it again. Matthews, Bunting, Nylander. Tavares, Marner. We'll see if this works, but I think this is the way they'll go. Matthew Nyes. Third line, O'Reilly, Yarncroke, Pierre Engvall. Ugh. And fourth line, Camp, Pontus Holmberg, and Nolachari. That's where I think they'll go. That's, I think, the top 12 forwards for the Toronto Maple Leafs entering the postseason. They may still do something else. They may play around the edges. They may get another depth piece. A defenseman, I think, wouldn't hurt them. That's got a little more oomph. I talked about this this week. There's no talk about Jake Muzzin. Nothing. It's a Toronto Maple Leafs where the media talks about what kind of cat that Nazem Kadri has or Mitch Marner's new ugly skates. No reports on Jake Muzzin. What's his health? Can he play? Is he going to come back? Is he on LTIR? Can they spend his money? Nothing. Now, I don't care if they don't play him and he comes back for the playoffs. They want to circumvent that and they... The Leaf fans who complain about Kucherov and Tampa doing that can be hypocritical and do it that, and then do the same thing. I'm fine with it. I didn't care that Tampa did it. It's called it's called beating the system, living life, getting ahead. Ask Donald Trump not paying his taxes worked out for him so far. Might be in jail soon, but we'll see. But with all of that, I think. If, if that's the play, okay, but could, could a journalist write that story? Could they? Could not one of them come up with a piece? I know it's tough to cover one team and one team only. Tough business to, to do that. So tough. And I expect Kerfoot to be traded by the trade deadline for a defenseman or for another piece, salary out. If they're going to make another deal, I think he leaves. If I'm a Leaf fan, my biggest fear is Alex Kerfoot is your third line center and they have O'Reilly on the wing in the second line. That would scare the hell out of me. And don't think they won't do it because you know they will. But he's not a centerman. If you keep him and he plays the wing, that's fine. Your team might be better. Holmberg won't play in all likelihood. He's a healthy scratch. You have Kampf and Achari and... Uh, Camp Achari, Angval on the fourth line. You have Kerfoot. Yeah. Again, I don't like that as much. He's on the roster as of now, but I do think they make another trade—not a big trade, but another decent deal. And say if he traded for a Jake McCabe from the Chicago Blackhawks, Kerfoot could go there in return, trading salary for a salary. You'd have to throw another draft pick in that trade, I believe. but Or a Connor Murphy in, in Chicago, another big defenseman. Maybe they could make a deal for an Adam Henrique in, in Anaheim. He's another forward, but maybe that's a move that, that they could potentially make. So I don't think Toronto does much more. They'll poke around the edges. I don't expect them to trade for a goaltender. They're, they don't, they're not going to do that. They're not going to trade Matthew Nyes. They clearly see him as a piece of the future. Whether he can play, I have no clue. And quite frankly, I don't think any of the least staff do either. Sure, they might watch him more than I do at college, but do they know he's going to be a plug-and-play top six forward? No, they don't. Because Jimmy Fe- Jimmy VC was supposed to be a stud in the NHL. He's a fork-liner for the New York Rangers. Bounced around journeyman. Johnny Gaudreau hit, yes. Adam Fox was a superstar, but Adam Fox played four years in college and chose where he went to go. And Adam Fox was just he's different. The Leafs signed a, a player a couple years ago out of college, played at Harvard, Abruzese. Remember the name? Yeah, he still plays for the Marlies. He's played, I think, four games in his NHL career. Didn't pan out. College guys don't always work out. There. He might be Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson played a Bowling Green. Played for the Maple Leafs. Had a decent career. He works on TV now. Maybe that's what Matthew Nice is doing in a decade. I don't know. But all in all, good piece of business by the Toronto Maple Leafs. Your team is better. Your team is more well equipped to deal with the Tampa Bay Lightning, with the Boston Bruins of the world. And if you get by those two teams, you're getting the New York Rangers or the Carolina Hurricanes in the conference final. That is tough. That is a tough stretch to get through for anybody. I don't care if it's Boston. You got to beat Boston might be first in the East, which they in all likelihood will, but Carolina is damn good too, and they very well could pass them, in particular if they can if they acquire Timo Meyer. But if they get if Boston gets first, just we'll, we'll play the hypothetical. I think Florida could very well make the playoffs. And Florida, they played a lot of games, and they need to play really well down the stretch here. But if Florida gets in, they're not going to be a fun team because they're heavy and their goaltending starting to play better. And Matthew Kachuk, who's been a top 10 player in the NHL this year, he's fourth in points while Huberto's agent starts bitching about his play in Calgary. Matthew Kachuk, the guy who was the worst off in the trade, has been ripping up the NHL. They get in with Kachuk and Verhege and that physical tough lineup. They won't be fun. To go through Florida in that first, you have to go through Florida. Then you got Lee's Tampa, and then you got no path is going to be easy. It's funny to say, but whoever gets, say, Pittsburgh, who will in all likelihood be the first wild card team, will have the easiest first round. And you could say, well, it won't be easy. You got Crosby and you got, but it will be. They're so bad defensively. Their goaltending stinks. But that will be the easiest series for anybody in the Eastern Conference is playing the Pittsburgh Penguins. Cause the East is loaded. Out west, who the hell knows? To me, the best team out West right now is the Dallas Stars. And with that being said, they lost to Minnesota last night, but it went to the gimmick. Really good game. But Dallas has everything you'd want. They're a tough team. They're fast. They're great in transition. They got defense that can move the puck. They got one of the best young goaltenders in the game, and they got a superstar player in Jason Robinson. Winnipeg's also really good that could improve. L.A. L.A. is an anomaly because you have L.A. who I love everything about their lineup. They have a goaltender since being called up from the minors in December is 18-3-1. Phoenix Copley, 18-3-1 in his starts. So he's been dominant. But do I trust him to win four rounds? Hell no. I don't trust him to win one in that West. Vegas. Who knows, Vegas, Edmonton. I talked about Edmonton yesterday. I did a rant about them and how incompetent they are. And I thought they're going to throw it in my face last night against the Rangers, but they're up four two going into the third period. They did Oilers things. They just gagged it away. Loose five four in the gimmick. They throw the game away. They got they they had to dress eleven. And six last night because they didn't have enough roster players. Don't have any cap space on a team that has no depth. This could be worse off me. If Toronto was in the Western Conference, they would be the favorite to get to the Stanley Cup final. Truly believe that. If Tampa was in the West, they'd be the favorite to get the Stanley Cup final. Boston is already. They're in the East. Carolina? Yup. Rangers, I also think so. Any of those elite teams from the East would be the favorite to get to the Stanley Cup final in the West. The West isn't crap, but it's just a lot of middling. It's a lot of average. Colorado, team that I've you know is great on paper, have been average this year. Gabriel Landeskog still hasn't played a game after major offseason surgery. Kale McCarr has been good, not great. McKinnon missed a chunk of time. Their goaltendings take time to figure out. Their defensive play has been subpar. We look at Colorado and they still have the nucleus of a team that got to a Stanley Cup final last year. I still think they're the biggest threat in the Western Conference. Dallas is a better team currently than them right now but I, I believe that say if when Colorado gets in, they find their game. They're the favorite for me out West to get back to a Stanley Cup final. So who knows? Let's talk about Calgary for a second. I hate watching the Calgary Flames. I've talked about this all year. They're so blase. They are incredibly frustrating to watch. And they, they lost to the... Detroit Red Wings on Thursday night. The Wings are on their third game in four nights, Western Canadian roads, road swing. And Calgary loses 5-2. Doesn't matter if it's Jacob Markstrom or Dan Vladar. They can't get a save. They have offensive players that don't show up. Huberto's on the line with Jacob Peltier and Nazem Kadri now. Play well for a period, then they fade out into the darkness. Dylan Dubé still riding a hot streak, but Calgary is Calgary. They're average, they're inconsistent, and they're a fringe playoff team, right where they deserve to be. Now, after the game, Alan Walsh, agent to the stars, who represents Marc-Andre Fleury, who represents, obviously, Jonathan Huberdeau, He's a big player. He's the, he's the Scott Boris of the National Hockey League, if that makes sense. He, is, he gets his clients a lot of money. He's very good at his job, and he'll defend them until the day he dies. So following the 5-2 loss, he goes on Twitter, which is where every great idea starts. And he says, you know, it's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is insanity. And there's a picture of Huberto in his post. So clearly this was a shot at Daryl Sutter and the fact that Jonathan Huberto has had a dreadful season. And I pontificated on this fine program before as of why this is the case. You know, I can relate with Jonathan Huberto to the, 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 the weather. I hate the cold. I hate it. I wish I lived in Miami or Vegas. I wish it was nice all the time. I have no need for snow. I have no need for cold. Snowstorms like yesterday. There's nothing appealing about them. I'm not going snowshoeing. I'm not going skating anymore. I'm 24 years old. Yes, I might sound young, but I'm not doing it. Enough. It's nice all the time. I can go for walks. I can go hiking year-round. No. Take that away from me. Hubert is driving a Lambo, living in South Beach, women on the side of the road. Just, I mean, that sounds appealing, doesn't it? But now he's in Calgary. They got 40 centimeters in October, and he's probably freezing his ass off on a daily basis driving a Ford F-150. That lifes not exactly as appealing. So that's part of it. He's asked to play in a different system than he ever did in Florida, where his defensive responsibilities were None part of the reason why Florida did not beat Tampa Bay, part of the reason why they did not get to a Stanley Cup final. And he has not had great cohesion with anybody on the roster. Kadri and Huberto, not a great connection. Did not work with Elias Lindholm. He's tried it with everybody seemingly, and it has not worked. So now Alan Walsh goes on to defend his client. And Huberto had to address it with the media yesterday. He had to say, I had no idea that Allen was going to do this. I mean, I'm, I'm not with Allen Walsh on this. I don't agree with him. You know, it's just, we're going to try to get out of this together. I need to improve my play. You know, yada, yada, yada. All the things a player says to try to get off the current negative publicity that he has on him. I can appreciate where Huberto is coming from in this. Alan Walsh put his client in a really bad situation. But something I know in life is there's always some truth to everything, to whatever anybody says. Every joke, there's some truth behind it. Every statement somebody makes, there is a hidden message. There's something that you can take out of it that is not on the surface. Sean Huberto, I'm sure, has a good relationship with his parents. I'm sure he's got friends and family friends and other family that he confides in. But you know who you talk to a lot is your agent. And your agent is somebody that you can talk to, you can vent to, and feel completely comfortable being honest with them. So Huberto being frustrated, Huberto being frustrated with his role, with his place on the team. Alan Walsh, I think, has heard this story before, this sob story. Everyone want to mention it. And he is relaying that message via Twitter so that everybody can see it and maybe it'll get a rise out of Daryl Sutter. Now, this Twitter message may have more of an impact on a lesser coach on a team that doesn't have as much structure. Daryl Sutter is not going to give a shit what Alan Walsh has to say. I don't think Daryl Sutter gives a shit what most people have to say. But Alan Walsh can complain about Daryl Sutter. Alan Walsh can complain about the system. But here's the conclusion. Daryl Sutter ran a system that worked last year and the Calgary Flames lost in the second round. You get Jonathan Huberto a better player than Matthew Kachuk and your team is worse. Nazem Kadri won a Stanley Cup. Your team is worse. So is the system bad or does this tell you that Jonathan Huberto can only play one way, and that one way is on a high-flying team that really has no chance of winning. Because in his entire time in Florida, he got great numbers, and they never sniffed a conference final. They never sniffed a Stanley Cup, and they were never a legitimate threat. So is he just a stat-padding machine on an offensive-minded team that can't translate his game? which is an indictment on Jonathan Huberto, not on Daryl Sutter. Daryl Sutter's won two Stanley Cups. He got to a second round last year. His system has proven to work. Jonathan Huberto is a player has proved to be a great offensive mind, a, one of the best passers in the game. Will be in the Panthers' ring of honor. Great. All great accolades, but they're all individual. They're all individual things that he can point to. His teams, the teams he's been on, have never won. They've always been average at best. So what to do now? He's stuck there. He signed an extension. He's got a whole bunch of money. So the hope for Alan Walsh and Jonathan Huberto is we get a new coach so we can play a high-flying system here in, in Calgary, and I at least I'm putting up points while I'm freezing my ass off. Or am I a player that can't do anything but score? When an agent has to come out to do this, it looks weak. The player looks spineless. And if I was John and Huberto, I'd be pissed off with Alan Walsh. But I don't think he is. Because I think John and Huberto felt this way. I think John and is frustrated with how the season's gone. Frustrated with his head coach and can hide behind Alan Walsh throwing this dart out there and just kind of hide behind him and say, you know, I don't believe him, but it'd be great if Darrell wasn't here next year. It'd be great if we had somebody new. It would be great if I had some more players to pass the puck to that I could finish. Calgary's got the Rangers tonight in a back-to-back They're going to get Yaroslav Halak in net, a backup goaltender. They are in a downward spiral right now, and they cannot get a win. But yet, they're still in a playoff hunt, and they need to find their game quickly. Thursday night, they lost to the Detroit Red Wings. The Detroit Red Wings have won five straight games quietly. They have swept Western Canada, and they finish off the road trip in Seattle tonight. Detroit's in an interesting position because they're three points out of a playoff spot with four games in hand over the over the New York Islanders. But they have a bunch of dilemmas on this team. Detroit is two pending unrestricted free agents that would be very intriguing on the open market. And very much so with Brian O'Reilly coming off the board to the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. The first name is Dylan Larkin the current captain of the Detroit Red Wings who is a pending unrestricted free agent who has not signed a deal been in talk with talks with the Red Wings all year but clearly he feels he deserves a long-term extension for a lot of money and Steve Eiserman we know is a tough negotiator he had a hard line for Steven Stamkos he would not go over it and it's been a very good thing for the Tampa Bay Lightning it's kept them competitive for this long Stamkos signed 8 years times 8.5 I think that is what Steve Eiserman is offering, Dylan Larkin. I think Steve Eiserman is it might be eight times eight. Dylan Larkin's a very good hockey player. He's fast. He competes. But to me, he's a second line center on a very good team, on a championship winning team. But nowadays, you're on a winning team. Your second line center makes eight to nine million dollars. For the Maple Leafs, you're hoping it's eleven. Braden Point, Steven Stamkos, all these guys in the nine, eight and a half, nine and a half, ten million dollar range as your second line center. So I think Dylan Larkin looks around and he sees Matt Barzell's contract. He probably believes he's a better player than Matt Barzell. I don't disagree with him. Matt Barzell makes nine point one two five million dollars as a fringe center iceman, more of a winger in Long Island. He looks at Bo Horvat, who just got eight years, eight and a half million dollars from the New York Islanders. Dylan Larkin, Bo Horvat. Dylan Larkin, it's close. It's close. I if I'm Larkin, I'm not taking a dollar less than Bo Horvat, because I think I'm just as good. But Bo Horvat does have 34 goals this year. He's had a better season but Dylan Larkin is consistently very good, and he's played at Michigan, was drafted by the Red Wings. He, is, he's only, he only knows Detroit, and by all reports, he does not want to leave. But Detroit's three points out of a playoff spot. They're on a heater currently, and you have a center that could walk out the door for nothing. That is a dangerous game. Steve Eisman almost let it happen in Tampa with, with Steven Stamkos, Stamkos came back. Does he want to play Russian roulette with Dylan Larkin? Do you want to lose your best player for nothing? It makes no sense. But if you don't have a deal done now and you know what the money is already, I don't see why the player would come back and say, okay, I'll take it unless there's not that kind of money in the open market or he gets cold feet and doesn't want to leave Michigan, which I don't get. But you're talking to a person that doesn't have a whole lot of sentimentality in his bones. So maybe I'm the wrong audience. The other interesting piece is Tyler Bertuzzi, who is a fringe top six player, more of a top nine player on a championship winning team, who's got a big body, plays that physical role, and would be a nice add for a lot of teams around the National Hockey League. Now, Bertuzzi's gone through a lot the last couple of years, injuries. He was the, still the only player in the National Hockey League who has not been vaccinated, which wouldn't stop me from trading for him, but maybe it would for other teams. I doubt it. Maybe some fan bases wouldn't want that player acquired. Doubt it. But again, who knows when this stuff ends and when that's still a big deal or when it isn't. But All I know is that Tyler Bertuzzi can play. He's smart. He's physical. He's physical. And he's currently on a line with, oddly enough, Dylan Larkin. What does Detroit do? You've won five in a row. You're in Seattle tonight. Philly Huso is playing fantastic. Your team is full of youngsters. Robbie Fabry scoring goals. you got Phillip Zedina playing. Begrins is playing. So I don't believe that they're a playoff team. I think Florida's better than Detroit, but Detroit has four games in hand on on the Florida Panthers. So if you can win those games, you're in a position to be right there with them. Washington is ahead of them, but Washington's still without Alex Ovechkin. They're without John Carlson. They're without Tom Wilson. When Ovi's back, I don't know, following the loss of his father. So they're hurting. They're not winning any games right now. I think Kyler Bertuzzi would be a great fit in Winnipeg. The Winnipeg Jets are another team that, that is very good that could be looking to add some pieces. I, I just mentioned the Western Conference is wide open. They should be looking at this as an opportunity. Kevin Sheveldayoff, how many more cracks is he going to have as the general manager of this team? Mark Scheifele is a pending unrestricted free agent. Pierre Dubois, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a pending uh, restricted free agent. You got Josh Morrissey in a good contract. You have Connor Hellebuck. You have you have Kyle Connor, one of the more underrated players in the league. Try to win. But Detroit is an interesting team to monitor. They play, I believe, four games before next Friday. Starts to, uh, tonight against Seattle. They're still in the mix. Stevie Wise got a young team, maybe a trade away assets for one more season, and then you start to build up. Because he did add Andrew Kopp in the offseason, and he did add Billy Husso. And he's made some good signings to help their team, quite frankly, to put them in a better position to be competitive. And they have been competitive all year. But can you jump Washington? Can you jump the Islanders? Can you jump Buffalo? To get to a playoff spot. Can you jump Florida? That's a lot to ask in a short period of time. But I've watched in the last few nights. They're they're fun to watch. Maurice Siders, a stud on the back end. Ben Chirot's another ad that they made on on this team. Come over from Florida. I look at Winnipeg for Tyler Bertuzzi. And I don't believe Detroit will trade Dylan Larkin. But again, if you're a team this year and you think you can, boy howdy would that be intriguing. To get a such a difference maker on your team like a Dylan Larkin who can literally do it all. Get him to be your second third line center. Timu Myers, the biggest pendulum swing. Dylan Larkin would be close. He'd be number two for me. Again, I don't believe he's traded. But if he ended up in – somehow they pulled that off and he ended up in Dallas. Dallas has a lot of good assets in the American Hockey League. They have draft picks and they have good players playing in the AHL right now that that seem to be – that are going to be good prospects. Maverick Bork, former Schwinnigan Cataract, having a pretty good season down there. Jack Studnick playing for the Texas Stars, another prospect they really like. Just saying. Just putting it out there that maybe that's an option for them. But Detroit, I think they want to try to make the playoffs, but Stevie Y, he likes to keep these hard lines and he likes to make it really clear with players. So Dylan Larkin may walk out the door for nothing, but he sets a precedent. And normally, in his his experience, players come back. They come back to him and they take what's available. Because he sets a hard line. And I appreciate that about him. Flames, Rangers tonight. Wings are in Seattle finishing off a road trip. You got Tampa in Vegas this evening. That should be a fun game. Montreal, Toronto. St. Louis is also in action following their trade. They're playing Colorado this afternoon. They're also in Ottawa tomorrow, so they got a back-to-back, as do Toronto this weekend following their moves. And we got 13 days to the trade deadline. Barbashev, Dylan Larkin, Timu Meyer, Vladisav Gavrikov, who's a healthy scratch again today. Jacob Chikrin, who's a healthy scratch today. In in, uh, in the desert, Lawson Krause. Who else gets moved? Does Does John Klingberg get straight out of Anaheim? Did they get anything for him? Does Patrick Kane get moved out of Chicago? I don't think so. I don't think so anymore. I don't know where he goes. I don't know where he weighs, weighs his no trade. New York, the Rangers aren't going to trade for him. They got Tarasenko. Toronto got Ryan O'Reilly. I think those are the two blue bloods that would be willing to trade for him right now. I don't think he's going to go to Carolina because I think they want Timo Meyer more than they want Patrick Kane. I get it. I don't know if he'd be willing to go to New Jersey. If he'd waive a no trade there. There's not a whole lot of other options. He's not going to go to Boston. They can't afford that. They can't make that deal work. So he may end up in Chicago for the rest of the year. He scored a game-winning goal with two minutes left last night, and the Blackhawks beat the Sens in overtime. The Senators just continue to puke all over themselves. You got to get two points last night against the worst team in the NHL, you lose the game in the in, in overtime. My word. They just they they can't figure it out in Ottawa. New owners coming. Fun, fun times to be an Ottawa Senators fan because you just know when you expect anything from the team, they find a way to screw it up. And Pierre Dorian met the media yesterday. And he announced they're, they're not trading Alex to so that's safe. And he's unlikely to trade Travis Hammanick or Derek Broussard. I find that funny that he had to put that out there. And the reason is because nobody wants them. Trading for Travis Hamnik is like trading for a my trading for a gold RDB scored. It's like trading, it's like starting a game, you're down one-nothing. That's trading for Travis Hammanick. You might as well – you know what happened during a game, that he'll do something that is so – he'll get beat or he'll make a horrible pass right up the middle, just throw a pizza to the opposing team's stick, and it's in the back of the net. So it's like starting a game down one nothing having Travis Hamanick on your roster. So how many people are, are suiting up for that? And Derek, you're not going to trade Derek Broussard, the PTO guy that nobody else wanted either, and then you got him because – you had no other option after the injury to, to uh, Josh Norris. No, you're not unlikely to move those players because anybody wants them. You're unlikely to move them because you're the only team that would take them on your roster. That's why. So don't put it out there like you're going to keep them because you really think they'll help you on a deep run. Maybe make a playoff push. To the contrary, they're a hindrance to you winning. But that's your own doing. New ownership will be put in place by the start of next year. I I would have to think it's in place by free agency. I don't think Pierre Doran and and DJ Smith are employed by the Ottawa Senators by July. By the draft, I don't think either guy is still working for the Ottawa Senators. I think they have a new GM and I think they have a new head coach. And that will be chosen. That will be chosen. Pardon me by the new owner of the Senators. Whether that ownership group includes Ryan Reynolds or not, I don't know. But that's where I see it going. Quickly today, I want to talk about the genesis with the Gulf. And I want to start off by saying how I was wrong. The other day, I... Talk about how I, I like watching golf tournaments minus Tiger Woods because you when Tiger's in a tournament, they focus so much on him and it's less about the rest of the players. And just, I love watching the PGA Tour. I, really, I don't care who's playing. I'll watch Brian Harmon putt. I'll watch anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to it. The Thursday night with the group at Roy McElroy, Justin Thomas, and Tiger Woods it was truly special and it felt really just it was it was such a great feeling on 18 to see Justin Thomas putt out from off the green for birdie then you see Tiger make a birdie putt his third straight birdie putt to to end the day and then Rory caps it off all three men All three men at one point, the number one ranked player in the world, all make putts for Birdie on 18. But to see Tiger play around where he shoots two under par, to see Tiger Woods where, yes, he's hobbling around, his leg doesn't look great, but he's able to finish around without grabbing the back of his ass cheek, without withdrawing. He was hitting his driver incredible. He was hitting it straight. He was hitting it down the middle. His chipping was clutch Tiger, just vintage, where he put it four feet from the hole. It was, it was just so special to see those three men together. And I, I was wrong. It was great to see Tiger on that course. And obviously yesterday did not go as... Smooth for Tiger, shot three over par. He's at one over, but he's go- he made the cut. He will be playing today and tomorrow at the Genesis. He will not be winning the tournament or be in the mix with the likes of Max Homa, who's leading the tournament right now, 10 under, or John Rahm, Keith Mitchell, the visor, and Lee Hodges are all at nine under par. You have Morikawa at eight under, Patrick Cantillay at seven, and Rory McIlroy at six under. But he will play four rounds of golf, which is a positive. For him to get through four rounds of golf is a win. To be able to do it physically, to be able to do this tournament, maybe he gets another event in before the Masters. Maybe he plays the Players' Championship the second weekend in March. Maybe he plays Arnold Palmer. Who knows? But to see him play four rounds of golf to look way more comfortable than he did at any point last year when he was playing the majors is a sign of improvement, and you saw signs of life that he still has some game left. But, I mean, competing with the John Roms, competing with the Max Homas, with these best players, it's not fair anymore. These guys are so damn good. We're going to see, likely see Max Homa and John Rom in the final group today together. And I mean, John Rahm's won twice on the PGA Tour this year. He's been in the final group on a Sunday five times already. It's February. He's won $8 million and it's February this season, John Rahm. Just from golf, just from playing golf, he's won $8 million this year. His putting. He's just, he's a specimen. He knows how to, he's, yes, Scotty Scheffler's the number one player in the world after winning the waste management. But if John Rahm wins this weekend, he's the number one player in the world again. He'll take it back. So that's the fun right now. You have so many great players John Rahm, Scotty Scheffler, Rory McElroy's still in the mix, Colin Morikawa, who's starting to find his game, Max Homa, who won at American Express, could get his second win of the season this weekend. But then you throw in guys like the visor, Keith Mitchell, who's nine under par. Who's one of the best drivers of the golf ball in the world. You wouldn't think it looking at him, but he is. Matt Kuchar, another vet, he's at six under par. Four four shots off the lead. So I think it's going to be a really fun weekend at the Genesis. We got games this weekend. You got the golf. And I think every golf tournament should be in California. Can we have that? Just rotate golf courses in California so we can get nighttime golf. I mean, the Genesis played till 9.30 p.m. East uh, Atlantic last that's, – that's just phenomenal. There's nothing better than that. 9.30 at night, a little golf, a little Genesis. Sign me up every damn time. Yes, I love the Florida courses, but when you can have it at night, it goes past 7 p.m., that's just so money. So let's keep that going. Golf channel, Jay Monahan. It was perfect last time. watching. I'm watching that, and I have Full Swing, the documentary on the PGA Tour, on as well. Same time. Got that on my computer. I got golf on the on the tube. Getting maximum maximum content. That's going to be it for this morning. We'll have lots to get into. Recap the UFC on Monday. Should be a decent little card tonight. Jessica Andraj versus Aaron Blanchfield. An opportunity for a title on the line. Jim Miller, the veteran, the 39-year-old veteran, is fighting this evening. Lots of NHL to recap. As I, as I mentioned, the Washington football team hired Eric enemy. I'll get into that more on, on Monday. So, fun show this morning. Great to get a little late-night trade to fill up some content as well. So, good on the Maple Leafs, good on St. Louis, seeing where they are in the standings and jumping on board with that. But uh, lots of lots of great stuff happening in the world of sports, and we'll talk about it all on Monday. So, hope you all have a great weekend. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back before you know it. We'll be live on on Family Day with all of you. So tune in for that. So have a great rest of your weekend. It's been fun. We'll do it again soon. This is To The Point.